How's everyone doing? It's so good to see your faces and finally be able to be with you uh, and be able to speak. I've looked forward to this day for a long time to be able to share uh, God's Word with you. And like Pastor Jeff said, my name is Terry, and uh, so I'm the Canada Campus Pastor. But what you might not know is that I grew up in Orleans, uh, here on the east side of Ottawa, and so spent uh, the majority of my early childhood all the way up to about 10 years old living in Orleans. So it always feels like home coming here. And uh, it's just an honor and a privilege. And I just want to say thank you to Pastor Jason for the, uh, the privilege it is to share God's word with you this morning. And to be the one to close out what I believe has been just a fantastic series on spiritual gifts. Have you enjoyed the teaching on spiritual gifts this summer? Have you? Next week, Pastor Jason's going to wrap up the series. He's going to be looking at some of the moves of God throughout history and sort of how it relates to spiritual gifts. But I get the pleasure today of, of sort of ending what's been a long list of spiritual gifts by looking at two of the gifts that we are going to place under the category of the unique gifts. Say the word unique. Would you say unique? Unique. And before we jump into what the unique gifts are, I want to tell you a story about how I came to learn that I would be sharing with you today on this topic of the unique gifts. And so I want to take you all the way back to April, which is like, what, like five years ago? And we were in the midst of the the pandemic, and there was so much uncertainty. There was so much we didn't know what was going to happen. But our fearless leader, Pastor Jason, was boldly navigating and discerning where God wanted to take us as a church and just was hearing from God and just sensed the Spirit was speaking to him to take us through this topic of spiritual gifts. And when I heard that we would be teaching this summer on spiritual gifts, I got excited. I got amped up, and I went to Pastor Jason, and I I said, Pastor Jason, that is so awesome. I'm so excited. And if you need anything at all from me, if I can help in any way, put me in coach. And so when he sent out the email with all of the the topics, the various topics, the week-by-week topics of the spiritual gifts, and alongside the names of those who would be speaking, I felt like one of those kids at school, remember when the basketball coach would put the list of the team up on the wall, and all the kids would gather around and be looking for our names to see if we made the team, and I'm looking through the list, and we the love gifts, okay, my name's not on the love gifts, that's okay. Uh, The word gifts, uh, and then power gifts, oh, there's Pastor Jeff, he has to speak on speaking in tongues. Uh, Sucks to suck, as Pastor Hannah likes to say. And there, I'm looking for my name, and I see my name at the very bottom of the list. I made it. I made the team. But beside my name were the words, unique gifts. The unique gifts. Well, what exactly are the unique gifts? They are the gifts of celibacy and martyrdom. Celibacy and martyrdom. And when I saw those two gifts beside my name, simultaneously one of two thoughts popped into my head. Number one, this probably has something to do with me cheering for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Pastor Jason is punishing me for cheering for the greatest hockey team on earth. And then number two is, this is the one time I will not be practicing what I preach. I know as pastors, we're supposed to practice what we preach, what we preach, but this is, I'm sorry to say, this is the one time, and perhaps the one time only, where I will not be practicing what I preach. But if you're like me, you look at those two gifts, celibacy and martyrdom, and you might be thinking to yourself, are those really spiritual gifts? 
Or you're perhaps thinking to yourself, oh, Lord, I am so sorry for taking the love gifts for granted. I pray you just give me the, I'll take any of those gifts. I'll take helps. I'll take, I'll scrub toilets, anything, the gift of celibacy and martyrdom. And my very first time, the very first time I came across these two gifts, the gifts of celibacy and martyrdom, I was a, a pastor working at a former church, and we were going through a series like this, a series on spiritual gifts. And before we started the series, we had everybody in the congregation fill out one of those spiritual gifts questionnaires. Have any of you ever done those before? One of those tests that are, they're helpful, they're not perfect, but they're meant to guide you and to sort of, to lead you towards what your gifts might be. And I had a man come up to me one day after service. He was in his mid-40s and uh, an experienced, you know, member of our church. And he came up to me and he said, you know, Pastor, I've taken the spiritual gifts questionnaire, but I have a few issues with it. And I said, what are those? And he said, I've taken the test and it says that my top two gifts are celibacy and martyrdom. I said, well, that's interesting. (laughs) And he said, the only problem with that is... I'm a happily married man, and I have no desire to die. So either the test is wrong, or I am living outside of the will of God. And the reason why these two gifts, celibacy and martyrdom, are placed under the category of unique gifts is because that is what they are. They are unique. Not everybody has them, and not everybody wants them. And up to this point, maybe you've sent, maybe everything that we've taught on has made, you know, some sense. Administration, teaching, prophecy, even speaking in tongues. You see how they fit together like a puzzle. They, they, they're placed together and they, and they build up a body in such a way. But celibacy and martyrdom, are these actual gifts given by the Holy Spirit? And if so, how am I supposed to know if I have one of these gifts? I mean, It's a lot easier to tell when someone doesn't have the gift of celibacy when they do. And martyrdom, well, it's probably one of those gifts that will be affirmed in you. (laughs) Probably, you'll probably won't know before it's too late. But for those of us who are called, and I believe it today, that there perhaps are some, maybe not many, but there are some select individuals in the body of Christ who are called by God to express such a rare and unique gift. What an opportunity you have to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And so I don't want us, though we have a little bit of fun this morning, I don't want us to come today towards these gifts with the mindset of, that's really nice, and I wish anybody who might get the good gifts, I wish them well. But rather, what is it today that God wants to teach me through those gifts? That even if I don't receive these gifts today, even if these gifts are not for me, what is God revealing about himself through these gifts? Where can I grow and, I can, and become more mature in Christ? Remember, just because God didn't choose that individual gift to give to you doesn't mean that he hasn't called you to make that something a spiritual discipline in your life. Like Just because you don't have the gift of mercy, it doesn't exempt you from being merciful as your heavenly father is merciful, amen? And in the same way, just because you don't have the gift of celibacy doesn't mean you aren't called today to demonstrate uh, the discipline of things like self-control or perhaps sacrifice. Perhaps today God hasn't given you the special grace or the supernatural power to live a single life or to lay down your life for his kingdom. But what if there's something that we can learn today on just how to better offer our bodies to Christ as a living sacrifice or to pick up our cross daily and to follow him? 
And so we're going to wade into these two gifts this morning, the gift of celibacy and the gift of martyrdom. So let's first, let's have a look at the gift of celibacy. Now, before we get to breaking down this gift, I just want to say, have a, I just want to say a few preliminary thoughts. Number one, first, I want to acknowledge the current state of our culture and its own sexual, sexual ethic, or better said, the lack thereof, and the role that it plays around this gift. Now, I know we have many young listeners here today at home or, at home or perhaps in the various campuses, so it's, it doesn't, we don't need to go into great detail, but in a culture that embraces an anything-goes mentality to sexuality, and to that true freedom is found through liberating yourself rather than constraining. It can be extremely difficult for any follower of Christ to follow a certain ethic that embraces any form of sexual self-control or limits, let alone embody a supernatural gift where God has given you the special grace to spend the rest of your life honoring and serving God from, by abstaining from sexual relations. Because of our culture today, there might not be a more difficult gift in the body of Christ than the gift of celibacy. This is a very difficult gift, and therefore it requires a very special grace. I mean, all of, all of us, including myself, we carry with us a certain level of, of our own brokenness and our own pain as a result of past experiences and failures. And all of those, even not the, like, and those with the gift of celibacy, they are not exempt from having pain and brokenness, despite having such supernatural power. So just because somebody has the gift of celibacy, it doesn't mean they're superhuman. It doesn't mean that they're superman or superwoman. They are human and they fall short just like the rest of us. And in the same breath, just because you have the gift of celibacy doesn't mean you have the gift of loneliness. You know, if somebody has been given a unique gift of celibacy, that is a hard road that they must walk. And that means the body of Christ, we must be willing to demonstrate radical hospitality, radical friendship. You know, we don't need, like, we don't need more singles groups. We don't need no more marriage groups. We just need more community in the body of Christ. Amen? And so we must recognize the difficulty of, of the path that those with this gift have to walk. Number two, the second thing I want to mention is that th- it's not just those who have the gift who are called to honor God with their sexuality. All of us Christians, regardless of our background, our, our age, even our past failures, we are called by God at some point in our life, whether it's a season or whether it's a lifetime, to say no to the desires of our flesh for the purpose of serving Jesus and bringing glory to his name. Whether that means you're single today or you're single again, or you are married, gifted or not gifted, we are all called to engage in the discipline of chastity in some form or another. And so to our culture, when I say these, these two things simultaneously, to our culture, this sort of teaching, it's oppressive. It's restrictive. But to those of us who belong to the kingdom of God, it is the true privilege and honor that we have with being a follower of Christ. And I like what Paul says to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. So because Christ now lives in you, because Christ now lives in me, it gives us an entirely new outlook of what it means to live in this world. Do I trust what feels right according to my flesh or do I trust what God speaks is right to my soul? Do I give in to my desires Or do I, like Paul says, actively try to crucify those desires along with Christ? 
Because it is now Christ who lives in me, I can now begin to live into what Jesus taught and affirmed as the Creator's most wonderful design for our sexuality. A design which includes a male and a female coming together to be one flesh and feeling no shame whatsoever because what they are doing is in the perfect will of God. A design that existed before the fall, before sin entered the world. A design that was good, that was given to bond with one another and had the power to procreate. A design which was meant to reflect the very union of God himself. God is three in one. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Is this a mystery? Absolutely, it's a mystery. But Paul also said that marriage was a profound mystery and was meant to reflect such union. And that is why no matter what our culture says and does with its sexuality, in God's eyes, marriage is held highly and sex is considered to be holy. But in the exact same breath, it must be said, sex and marriage were never meant to be the sum of God's design for sexuality. And I think one of the greatest mistakes that we have made in the church over the past few generations is to equate God's will with sexuality with somebody single going and finding a partner. And only once they find a partner, once they get married, then they will be living into God's design. You know, we, we are all at, I mean, I'm at fault, but, you know, we, we at times if you're single, you might get asked by someone in the church, you know, when are you going to get married? <laughs> And then you get married, and then they're like, when are you going to have a kid? And you have a kid, and you have a second kid, you have a third kid. They're like, when are you going to stop having kids? You know, we've been guilty of pitting marriage against singleness. We're putting it against one another, making one the greater and more meaningful pursuit than the other. But there is another side of the same coin, so to speak, which fully and with no limitations, expresses the nature and the will of God perfectly. And that is the path of singleness. May I remind you today that Jesus remained single his entire life, and wasn't he the very Son of God? By remaining single, by remaining celibate, was in any way Jesus falling short of expressing the fullness of the nature and the will of God in any way? Of course not. Celibacy is and only can become a gift when marriage and singleness are not two opposing and competing expressions. Rather, they are both equal and complementary expressions of the perfect and loving will of God. In both singleness and marriage, you will find God's design for sexuality. In both marriage and singleness, you find a rich theology and a worthy a life worth living. And until we embrace such a theology for singleness in the body of Christ, this body will suffer. Why? Because there are those in this body who are single today, and God has kept you single because he wants to give you, or already has given you, a supernatural gift, a gift of power, a gift of special grace, and that is the gift of celibacy. Peter Wagner, he defines the gift of celibacy as this, as the special ability that God gives to certain members in the body of Christ to remain single and to enjoy it, to be unmarried and not suffer undue sexual temptation. And the key words in this definition are the words not to, to undo, to suffer, to suffer undue sexual temptation. This is what differentiates celibacy from the gift of celibacy. 
He said, while some who remain celibate, they burn with things like sexual temptation and desire, there are some in the body of Christ, and God has given you a special grace, a supernatural power to live your life void of any sexual relationship, and not just bear it, but actually enjoy it. How can one actually enjoy this life? Because God, rather than giving your, rather than giving your life to another, God has called you to give your life to one person and one person only, and that is himself and the work of the kingdom. So the gift of celibacy is remaining single, not because you like the single life. Rather, it is remaining single so that you can spend all of your undistracted time, talent, and treasure devoting it to the kingdom of God. And when you do that, you experience the fullness of the joy that Jesus promises. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, chapter, chapter 7, 1 to 7, he says this, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should not, should give his, to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now here's, the, here's where Paul kind of keys into himself. He says, now as a concession, note that, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of one other. See, Paul is saying if you are single today, if you are single and you have a desire to be with another person, if you are desired to, have, uh, to pursue a relationship, a lifelong relationship, there is nothing wrong with pursuing that desire as long as, as you are pursuing that desire under God's design. Go for it. You've done nothing wrong, and that desire is perfectly expressed under God's will. Paul doesn't want any Christian to carry a burden that God hasn't called upon them to, to carry. But if you do have this special grace, let me just say what an opportunity you have. You have the opportunity to live your life like some of the champions of the faith. You have, your, you have the opportunity to live your life like Jesus, like Paul. Can you imagine Paul? How many missionary journeys could he have accomplished if he was married and had three kids? I mean, like half of one? What about Anna, who at a very young age, she lost her husband. And instead of remarrying, and I'm sure she could have, she instead chose to give her life to the temple, to the life of prayer. And in return, she was rewarded with seeing the very advent of the Messiah coming. And if so today, if you are single, and perhaps you are not ready to mingle, and if there's even a possibility today that you have this gift, I want to encourage you today to pray. Now, I know sometimes when we pray, we're like afraid to pray for things because we're like, if I pray it, if I even acknowledge it, then God's going to bind it and it's going to happen. So I don't want to want to pray. No, I want to encourage you today. If you are single and perhaps this is something that you feel, remember the, the, the purpose of the gift is not just to be single. It's to give yourself to the kingdom of God through your singleness. But if you have this gift today, to pray about it. You might have this gift, pray about it. It doesn't mean that God has given you a gift for your lifetime. Perhaps it's just for a season. Maybe today you're single, and for a season of your life, God is giving you the special grace, the, the supernatural power to give yourself to the kingdom. Remember, at the end of the day, the gift of celibacy is a gift. It's not for yourself. It's for the body of Christ. 
And so you give that gift. Don't just be single. Choose to do with your singleness what God is calling you to do. So that, if that wasn't fun enough, was that fun? This gift of celibacy? We got through it. We got through it, Pastor Jeff. Let's move on to an even more fun gift. And that is the gift of martyrdom. Martyrdom. Here's the definition. The gift of martyrdom is the special ability to undergo suffering for the faith, even to death, while constantly displaying a joyous and victorious attitude that brings glory to God. I'll never forget the very first time that I ever witnessed somebody giving their life for the faith. It actually happened when I was young, and I, I was watching the news that night, the night that the Columbine shootings happened. Everyone, any, I'm sure you remember that. The, the most horrific, kind of was the beginning of what has been tragically too many school shootings, but this was just something brand new to our culture. The idea of somebody walking in and especially a young person like that, and taking other people's lives. And there was, as the stories came pouring in, the stories of the people who lost their life, I remember the story of how a 17-year-old girl, do you remember this story? The story of a girl named Cassie Bernal. And the story was that she was asked by the shooter if she believed in God, and to which she answered yes, and that was the very last word that she would ever speak. And I remember how much this story impacted me at a young age. I thought to myself, I wondered, would I ever have the courage in a moment like that to say yes? Would I ever have the ability, you know, if somebody were to put a gun to my head or if my life was ever at risk, to say yes? And I think at some point that thought has crossed all of our minds. For those of us who are Christians, would I or could I lay my down, my life down for the love of Christ? And I think the reason why this question is even relevant to Christianity is because that is exactly what Christ has done for us. Amen? No greater, there's no greater love than the one who lays down their life for a friend. And that is exactly what our Lord and Savior has done for us. See, what separates Christian martyrdom from any other religious martyrdom is while all of there are, and there are other forms of religious martyrdom, but they all are seeking to, to honor and to satisfy their God. But we are set aside our lives. We are willing to lay down our lives because that is what our God has done for us. That he did not equate, he set aside honor and he privilege and he took on the form of a servant and he humbled himself to the point of the death. And in return, he invites all those who wish to follow after him to do what? To pick up a cross, to follow after him. Bonhoeffer once famously said, when Christ calls us, he bids us come and die. And so the gift of martyrdom, like the gift of celibacy, is an outflow of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. First John 3.16, it won't be up here on the screen, says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And what? And we ought to what? Do the same for our brothers and our sisters. Paul would later go on to build on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 to 3, when he said, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Now here's where he speaks to martyrdom. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul puts the gift of martyrdom alongside the other gifts, gifts like tongues, 
prophetic powers, words of knowledge, faith. But like all the other gifts, the giving of ourselves, even to the point of death, must be motivated by love. Love of who? Love of God. Love of neighbor. And what sets Christians apart is we are even willing to lay down our lives because of our love for our enemies. This has been the story that has been played for 2,000 years. It is a story that began when Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and no sooner after did Stephen have to lay down his life for Christ. And for thousands of years, men and women have been giving and laying down their lives. Suffering and persecution has always been part of the church, but despite it all, what has happened, the church has grown and it has flourished. And so I want to share one last story today before I close. And it is the story of two women. And their names are Perpetua and Felicitas. They were two women who lived in in the first 200 centuries of the church. In fact, the year is 203 AD, May 7th to be exact. And these two women... The only thing that binds them together is their love for Christ because one is a rich aristocrat and the other is a slave. And they are living at the time they are slaves. They are imprisoned in Carthage, which was at the time the leading city in Roman Africa. And the proconsul on that day, May 7th, has scheduled an event, an event which would gather the entire city together in one amphitheater, a day to celebrate the birthday of the emperor's son. On that day, many would die. Some would be gladiators, they would die. But most certainly, all the criminals in that arena would die on that day. And as thousands gathered, as was their custom, to be entertained, to pay honor to the emperor, and to watch their equivalent of Monday night football, these two women, uncertain of what was about to happen, they gathered together to pray. And, they, and, and two days earlier, Felicitas, the slave, she had given birth to a brand new baby. To a brand new baby. In fact, this was her prayer and the prayer of the church. We're praying, Lord, would Felicitas give birth to the baby because it was Felicitas' desire that she would join alongside her brothers and sisters in Christ in giving witness to Jesus. And God had answered that prayer. She had given birth to that baby. And now on that day, as they are forced into that amphitheater, they had no idea what to expect. And so what did they do? They improvised. It is reported that Perpetua, the one who is the aristocrat, she stood up and she declared, we are not here because of our imprisonment. We are here today because of our own free will. We are here today out of our own choosing. And later when Perpetua and Felicitas would both be stunned by, after being tossed by a cow, it says that Perpetua woke up and she went to Felicitas and she raised her up and the two stood side by side, a patrician and a slave, reflexively and highly visibly expressing Christian horizontally. And at the very end, it says as most of the Christians were gathered up and they were placed in the middle to be finished off by the gladiator sword, it says that these two women stood up and they gathered themselves up as a group along with the other Christians who were still alive. And they gathered themselves and they mustered up all the strength of their body and to give the final embodied witness. It says that these disparate people, women and men, slave and free, poor and advantaged, they kissed each other so that they might bring their martyrdom to completion with a kiss of peace. For 2,000 years, stories like this have been the testimony of countless Christians who gave their life because they loved Christ and they knew that that is exactly what Christ has done for them. And this has been their testimony. 
And so the question today that I want to leave you with as we close is this, will that be ours? Will that be our testimony here in 2020? Now, I'm not saying today that all of us need to get up and go and become martyrs for our faith. Of course not. We live in a time and an age where fortunately, most of us will never have to wonder if we have the gift of martyrdom because chances are likely we will never lose our life because of our faith. But that doesn't mean, church, that we can't die daily. That we can't give our lives for Christ daily. Can we die daily to the passions of our flesh? Can we die daily to the division that is growing ever more so within and outside the church? Can we die daily for the sake of our neighbor? Can we die daily even for our enemies? You know, I once asked that question, could I or would I ever be so bold enough to die for my faith? And I think, honestly, the answer is yes, and I'm sure that it is the same for you today. But would I have realized over time that the more difficult question is not would I or could I one day die for my faith, but rather the question, the most difficult question is, can I die today? Can I die to my flesh today? Meaning, can I lay down my desires, my wants, my need for the sake of Christ and for the sake of others? Why? Because that is exactly what my Lord and Savior has done for me. And so celibacy and martyrdom, they are undoubtedly unique gifts. They are to be celebrated and admired. And if you have this gift today, God bless you. We are cheering you on today, and we will support you. You embody the very gifts that Jesus Christ embodied in his own life and death. That in life, our Savior, Jesus Christ, embodied the gift of celibacy. He remained single for the purpose of serving the kingdom of God. And in his death, he embodied the gift of martyrdom. God gave him, the Father gave him supernatural power so that the Son might suffer unto death, bringing glory to the name of the Father. And for the rest of us today who may not have that gift, well, there's something that we can learn from these two gifts, can't we? Mainly, What is not a gift for us is a call to become a discipline. And so church, my call to you today is to be, for us, you and I, to be discipled in sacrifice and self-surrender, to give something up for an even greater love than the love that is found in the world, and that is the love of Christ. So would you stand to your feet at this time? We're just going to pray. I'm just going to ask if there's anybody at this time who just would like, you know, I'm just going to pray, and if there's any sort of need you recognize that this is perhaps a gift that God has given you, or perhaps a gift that you want to explore, just perhaps even afterwards, I'd love just to maybe even chat with you outside today, or if you're watching at home, send me an email. I would love just to pray with you today, or to explore uh, what this means. But all of us say, would you just bow your head with me, and let us pray, and let us ask the Holy Spirit to teach us, to guide us, to illuminate in us what exactly God is calling in us to grow. What is it exactly that we can learn through these gifts and through those who have these gifts? But let us pray. Father God, we are just so honored today to be in your house. God, we, we recognize, Lord, that not everybody is with us today, God. But God, as we may not be united today in flesh, God, but I pray today that we would be united in spirits. And Lord, even where two or three are gathered, it doesn't have to be specifically one location. It doesn't even have to be in physical, God. Where two or three are gathered, you are there, and you are with us today, O God. And that is why we have gathered today as your church, Lord, to be in your presence, 
to be in your presence. God, to learn from what it is that you have called on us to learn. And today, God, we have looked at two gifts that are very unique, meaning not all of us are going to have these gifts. But God, to those that you have given by your grace these special gifts, God, we pray blessing on them today. God, we acknowledge that there may not be more difficult path for anybody to walk, especially in this culture, than to walk the life with the gift of celibacy or perhaps the gift of martyrdom. God, we recognize that both these gifts teach us so much about who you are, and that is that they demonstrate and reveal to us that you are willing to give it all for us. And so we, 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 we can have some fun this morning, but God, ultimately, we look at what you did for us, God, and we cannot be afraid of these two gifts. God, we cannot reject these two gifts because ultimately there's nothing, God, that we won't do for you if you have called us to do it, God. There is no heights that we won't go. There is no depths that we won't search, God, if it means that we have to, to chase after you today, oh God. And so, God, for those with the gift of celibacy, my prayer today, God, is that you would strengthen them today. God, I pray that they know that they are not alone. And if they feel alone, God, I pray that you would give them the supernatural community to lift them up, God, to help them, God, because the journey that you have called them to walk is not an easy one today. God, I pray, Lord, that we as a church, God, we would all would be called, Lord, to honor, our, our, honor you with our bodies. God, that you, we would honor you with our bodies, that we would give of ourselves as a living sacrifice today. God, we need a move of God in the area of sexuality today. God, our world, Lord, is hurting. Our world has gone so astray, God, and I am praying, God, there's just an intervention of your spirits because, God, you have created us in such a way. You have perfectly designed these things for us to live under, God, and it is our desire, it is our prayer, God, that you would help us, Lord, to live out your perfect design in our lives. Lord, and for the gift of martyrdom, God, we just, we, we recognize today, God, that we live in a world where this is not going to be the case. But God, at the same time, we recognize that there are brothers and sisters all over the world right now who are experiencing persecution, who are experiencing suffering, who perhaps are even losing their life at this very moment because of you, because of their love for you. And so, God, I just pray, Lord, that we would look at their witness today and we would be emboldened, Lord. We would be encouraged today, oh God. God, that what to do what we can do in our culture, we might not have to give our lives fully, but God, we give our lives daily. We lay down our, our desires. We lay down our wants. We day, lay down the desires of our flesh for the sake of picking up a cross and following you today, oh God. We may not have the gift of martyrdom today, God, but we want to grow today in the discipline of dying to ourselves, to dying to our flesh. Lord, we thank you today that it is Christ who lives in us today. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And that is our testimony today, oh God. We are not perfect. We have not fallen short of the glory of God. God, but we trust you today. We trust in you, Lord, and we just thank you today for what your son Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. We thank you today for the Holy Spirit and the work of the Spirit today in our lives, depositing these gifts in us. God, I pray today that we don't carry the spirit of that's nice, but God, we carry the spirit of that's me, and how can I give my gift to the church today? How can I help grow the body of Christ today? And Lord, we just pray for us, Lord, in this season. God, I pray for here in Orleans and Canada and Cornwall and everybody today at home, God, help us, Lord, in this season of need. Lord, I pray that you would just help us, 
Lord, guide us. Teach us what exactly it is that you are teaching us in this season. Lord, give us eyes to see. Let those who have ears to hear, hear what it is you are speaking to our world, speaking to the church. And God, we pray today as we close this time, uh, this wonderful time together, Lord. We just pray, God, let your, let your will be done, Lord. Let your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Let it come in our lives and the lives of our loved ones, the lives of those who are, are not saved today. Lord, we just pray, Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody says together, Amen. Amen.